Mark 1, 40. And the leper came to him and pouring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemed. And who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you, Kelsey and Brittany, and for our worship team, all those who have been involved this morning in leading us in worship. As we have just heard the word of God, would you join me again in prayer as we prepare to hear the preaching of God's word? Lord, we thank you for making yourself known to us, for revealing to us the truth of Jesus, the truth of your gospel, the truth of your grace that we see demonstrated in this passage this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, as the one who inspired these words and inspired the writer of these words to put them down for the benefit of your people, would you now take these words and apply them to our own hearts and apply what the gospel, what difference the gospel makes in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. You can keep your Bibles open to the passage that we have just heard read, starting in verse 40 of chapter 1 in the Gospel of Mark. 
Before I get into that text this morning, many of you have probably heard the name Johnny Erickson Tata, or Joni Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was a young girl, was swimming in the summer at a lake, and she dove off of a dock into a shallow portion of the lake and uh, fractured her neck. The result of that was paralysis. She was paralyzed immediately from the neck down. And because of this, she got angry with God for a time. She was angry. She didn't feel like she deserved this type of what she thought was some kind of retribution or punishment. And so she began praying and she began to go to uh, healers, people who preached healing. And she went to these churches and she asked the Lord to heal her for many years and he never did. And after she went to these churches, she ended up going to another place where she heard the gospel proclaimed, the gospel of God's grace, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that Jesus has come not primarily to heal bodies, but to heal broken hearts that are polluted and broken by sin. The result was that she placed her faith in Jesus, and she still to this day has not been healed. She is now growing into her older years, but she goes around in conferences, she's written books, and she shares the good news of Jesus, his grace for sinners, and in her testimony, talks about the fact that the greatest problem in her life was not her paralysis, but the problem was sin. And Jesus came to take care of her biggest need, which was not healing physically, but healing spiritually. And she goes around all over the world to proclaim this good news. And she looks forward to that day in heaven when all of her ailments will be healed, when all of her pain will go away, and when she will be able to once again walk and dance with joy in the presence of Jesus. But now she has recognized that the Lord has really used her brokenness, her physical brokenness, to reveal her spiritual brokenness, to humble her, and to help her see that Jesus really is a friend for sinners. Well, this morning, what we're going to see in our passage is that Jesus came healing and proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, and that Jesus is not only God who can forgive sins and heal all sicknesses and diseases, who has authority over all things, but who is also a friend of sinners. So Jesus is God and a friend of sinners. So if you have your Bible, keep that open to Mark chapter 1. We're going to break this up into three sections. The first section we'll look at is at the end of chapter 1, 40 to 44. And what we see healed, what we see here is that Jesus is a merciful healer. You can see why I tripped up on my words there. Jesus is a merciful healer. So what do we see in this passage? We see a leper who has come to Jesus, and look at a few ways it describes how he approaches Jesus. It says he came to him, imploring or begging of him, and kneeling before him. So what is the, what is the leper's attitude towards Christ? First of all, he comes to him because he knows Jesus is one who is approachable. Jesus, even though he was a great man, you see all throughout the Gospels that people came to him. He was approachable. He was a man that people, even sinners, as we'll see in a few minutes, 
even sinners, notorious sinners, felt comfortable around him. So this leper who is an outcast in society is willing to come to Jesus because he feels like Jesus will uh, recognize and receive him, be welcoming to him. And then he implores of Jesus. This word implore or beg, he's begging Jesus. He's pleading with him and he's kneeling before him. Now kneeling is uh, a sign of humility. It's a sign of you know lowering yourself before a person. But I think in this context, we can also say this is an act of worship. This is the leper acknowledging this man is worthy of my honor and respect and even praise. And then what are his words? He says, he said to Jesus, he said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So the leper is acknowledging, Jesus, I know, I believe you are completely capable of healing me of this disease. This disease that it, it, it is so contagious and nobody in, in history, no one in our society, the doctors, no one has been able to just get rid of this. This is a disease, leprosy, that you just have to wait out either until you die or until maybe eventually it works its way out of your system. But it didn't really do that back then. And so this man is coming and he's saying, Jesus, I know you're completely capable of healing me of this disease. But what does he say? It's only if you desire to do that. What is the leper doing in this moment? He's coming to Jesus saying, my desire is to be healed physically. I know you are completely capable of doing that, but I'm going to submit to whatever your will is for me. That, that's the point Johnny Erickson Tata had to get to. You have a lot of people preaching these days that God doesn't want anyone to be sick. He doesn't want anyone to be paralyzed. It's not God's will for anyone to be uh, riddled by disease. But in some situations, we don't quite understand why sometimes, but in some situations, God's will is for people to go through periods and even a lifetime of suffering for his glory. And the leper, I think, is really discovering that in faith. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're capable. If it's your will or desire, you can make me clean. And so what do we get out of this first story out of this? Well, this is really a continuation from what we were saying in our last sermon, is that Jesus is really able to heal and, and produce miracles and with power, demonstrate God's power in people's life when he was walking around in earth and even still today. We said last week, is Jesus capable? Is he still doing miraculous things in our world today? Yes. Is he still healing people miraculously? Yes. Does he always do it? No. It's, you know, we can't determine what his plan and will is going to be for every individual's lives, but is he still doing those things? Yes. But what is the purpose behind that? The purpose behind his healing of people is God's glory. We see that all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's for God's glory, and it's to open doors up to the Gospel. So Jesus, as we saw last week, his mission on earth was to preach the Gospel, to come and proclaim the good news that the kingdom was coming. And so in this situation, 
he does end up healing this man. Now, we're going to read a book over the summer called Gentle and Lowly. Christ's Heart for Sinners and Sufferers is a great book. You can get a head start if you want. Uh, I've got copies in the back. Um, but in that book, the writer, Dan Ortland says, now, one of the reasons Jesus healed all these people is because Jesus is full of mercy. That's a characteristic of God. He's full of mercy. And so one of the reasons you see every time somebody comes up to Jesus with a sickness or disease and he doesn't turn them away is because Jesus couldn't resist them. Jesus can't resist broken people. He loves broken people. He loves sinners. He doesn't love brokenness. He doesn't love sin. But sinners and broken people, he loves and he cannot resist. Do you believe that about Jesus in your life? Maybe you felt like you are unlovable, unacceptable. Maybe you carry a weight of guilt and shame around thinking God could never love you the way he loves others in the Bible or the way he loves others in the church. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is a God who loves broken people and loves sinners. We're going to see that more in a second, but just let that sit for a second in your own heart. You believe that Jesus cannot resist broken people and sinners. And so what do we see? We see him heal this man with leprosy. Now, before I move on um, from this first section, a couple things. First of all, Jesus tells this man, and this is what is often called in the Gospel of Mark, the Messianic secret. The secret of the Messiah. So Jesus, he says to this man, uh, go show yourself to the priest. I'm in verse 44. Go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing for what Moses commanded for a proof. Um, but don't tell anyone right before that. See that you say nothing to anyone. Now Jesus came, try to stick with me for a second. Jesus came to proclaim the good news, right? He came to preach the gospel on earth. And this Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one who is now in the flesh, the Son of God made man. And he's healing people miraculously. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, what you'll see is that many times when he heals someone in this powerful way, he tells the person immediately, don't go tell anybody. Don't go spread this word. But what ends up happening? The leper goes and tells people about it. The crowds go and tell people about it. Even the disciples were going and telling people about what Jesus was doing to bring them to him so that others might be healed. Now, why would Jesus tell them, don't go tell everybody that I'm healing all these people? Well, what's going on is that, remember, what was Jesus' purpose on earth? Why did he come? He came to proclaim the good news that the Christ had come to suffer and die. And so if all Israel began realizing, wait, this guy really actually might be the Messiah. This, this might be the king, the Christ, who was promised to come, the anointed one. And he's showing up in powerful ways. He's healing. What would they have wanted to do? They would have wanted to throw him on the throne right away. And they would have wanted to bring everybody they could imagine that had any kind of disease and bring them to Jesus so that he would heal them. And that's exactly what you see throughout the Gospels. Now, why is that a problem? Because even the physical healings were a distraction 
from Jesus' true purpose on earth. His true purpose on earth was to proclaim the gospel and to die for sinners. And so if, if everybody was just coming to get healed all the time, instead of coming for Jesus himself, they were getting distracted not by what, who Jesus was, but what Jesus could do for them. And there's a lot of people that come to Jesus, come to churches, go to revival, do all these things. They go because of what they think Jesus might be able to do for them rather than going to get Jesus himself. Let me ask you a question. Why do you pray? When you pray, why do you pray? Is it to get stuff? Is it to get answers? Is it for Jesus to show up and do something for you to fix a situation? Now, he has asked us and told us to do that. And he wants us to do that, but he also wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him and he wants to know you in personal relationship. Do you ever pray and talk to Jesus just for the sake of praying and talking to Jesus? To have a relationship with him? To abide with him, like he says in John 15, abide in my love. Don't just come to me all the time asking for stuff. Do that, but also abide in my love. Sit with me for a while. And so that's what we see, I believe, the leper doing here. He's coming and he's saying, he, he's acknowledging Jesus, he's coming to him, he's begging of him, but he's also saying, do it according to your will, not my own desires. So that's the first thing we see, is that Jesus is a merciful healer. The next thing we see in the next section, from verse 1 through 12 of Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus is a God who forgives sins. So this is the, a very well-known story in the Gospels, right? Mark talks about it, Matthew talks, talks about it, and I think Luke talks about it as well. And what you have is it says Jesus went to Capernaum, which seems to be kind of his local home spot after he left Nazareth. Capernaum becomes the place where he ends up hanging out the most and even staying for a while. And it actually says in this passage, I haven't been able to get a whole lot of um, uh, commentary on this situation, but it actually says that in that first, first verse that he was at home. Now, in another place in the gospel, it says, you know, foxes have holes and um, what are the snakes have layers or something like that. But the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. So we understand that Jesus was kind of a wanderer, right? He went from village to village preaching and proclaiming. He didn't have his own home. But there was this place in Capernaum that he called home. This was his main place where he stayed when he was in that place. And so what happens? He's in his home. And all these people come to hear him preach in his home or at the place that he was calling home at the time. And it's so crowded. He's preaching and all these people are crowding in. It's so crowded that these four friends of this lame man who cannot walk are trying to get to Jesus and they can't get to him. So what do they do? They go up on the roof. And whether they got there, some of these old houses actually had stairs so you could go up on the roof. That was like another place to hang out, courtyard, patio type location. So it was very common for people to be on the roof. What was a little less common was digging a hole in the roof. And so what do they do? They start doing exactly that. Now these roofs, the, the construction, um, most likely you had beams going one direction 
And then across those beams, they would lay uh, sticks and branches and boards and things like that to kind of make a covering with leaves and all that. And then on top of that, you would put a layer of mud mixed, you know, mud mixed with straw, and you would lay that out. And so the top of your roof would become like one giant brick. The sun would bake it and harden it. And so that's probably what this looked like. So what did they do? They had to start digging through that brick layer that you know, the, the dry dirt layer, they dig through that. Then they get to the branches and they're having to pull that away to make a hole big enough to drop this lame man down on this stretcher or this pallet as they call it. And so they lower him down. And all the while, I just, you know, I've imagined this story in my head many times. I'm imagining, you know, the, the, the dust starts to fall, right? And people are like, what is going on? Uh, then maybe people get worried, like the roof's caving in, it's coming down. Um, maybe there's people on top, they're stomping, it's going to fall down. Well, imagine just the scene. And imagine Jesus' patience. Now again, we don't know if this is his house. But imagine if somebody were to come to your house and start digging through the roof. How would you react? <laughs> but what is Jesus' response when they lower this man down? He says, son, your sins are forgiven I see your faith, and I have mercy on you. Now, what are the Pharisees' response when he says that? Now, they don't say it out loud, but Jesus knows what they're thinking, whether this is some kind of supernatural mind reading or not. You probably could guess these are the scribes and Pharisees, and they see this man, this man in front of them, say, your sins are forgiven. And what are their thoughts? You can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And so what does Jesus say out loud? He says, why do you say that only God can forgive sins? Which is easier to say? To tell this man, get up and walk? Or to tell him his sins are forgiven? Now what is Jesus asking in that moment? Well, let me just ask you. Which would be easier for you to do? Forgive a man's sins or to make a lame man walk? Jesus' point is, you're right. A mere man cannot forgive sins. And a mere man wouldn't be able to tell this lame man to get up and walk after he's been sick for all these years. But to prove that I am the Son of God and that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to this man, get up and walk. And John's favorite word is what? Immediately. Immediately the man got up, took his pallet, and walked out of the house. That was... Uh, what someone would call a drop the mic moment, right? Jesus, is, what is he saying in this moment? What is he demonstrating? He's saying, I am the Son of Man, and I am the Son of God, the Messiah in person, and I have the authority to forgive sins because I am God in the flesh. You're right. Only God has the power and the ability to forgive sins. And so to prove to you who I am, he, he brought this man from a symbolic death and raised him to life so that he could walk out of that room. And so what are a few things we want to get from this before we move on to our last section? Well, um, let's just stop to think about, again, this, this topic of hospitality. All right. Um, let's try to apply that for a second. Who are you willing to have into your house? 
Do you ever have people that you're a little hesitant to have over to your house because you think, oh, they're going to break something, or they usually kind of smell funny, or they're going to mess up something in the house? Well, Jesus wasn't really concerned about that, was he? They, they did mess up his house. As Chip Gaines would say, it was demo day, right? They tore up the roof. The word there actually means to unroof. To, they unroofed the roof. The, so they brought the roof down, right? They brought the house down. Not the whole house. Okay, I'm getting carried away. So what is my point? My point is, because of Jesus' love for you and his hospitality to you, this is what Kelsey preached on a few weeks ago, Christ has welcomed us lovingly into his life and into his people. What does it look like for us to be hospitable towards others? To welcome them into our homes, but also to welcome them into our lives. You know, some people come with a lot of garbage. They come with a lot of trouble and a lot of struggles. But to love people means inviting brokenness into your life. It won't be convenient. Some people that we are called to love and serve will inconvenience us. They will anger us. They will sadden us. They will test our patience. But Jesus has welcomed us in that very way. And he says, welcome others the way I have welcomed you. And that's what we see him doing in this passage. And then the last section here, chapter 2, starting in verse 13, we see this interaction before uh, the Pharisees are there. And then you have uh, Levi, who is Matthew. Matthew, the, the apostle, or yeah, the apostle. Matthew or Levi is his uh, his name there as it's given. And so you see Jesus walk up to Levi or Matthew. I'm going to start saying Matthew just because that's what we're most familiar with. He walks up to Matthew at the tax table or at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. Now let's stop here for a second and think about this situation as well. So we've seen two situations already that kind of test the cultural tradition, right? You don't, you don't go near lepers, they're outcasts. And then you don't, you know, a mere man can't forgive sins. And so Jesus is kind of testing the religious leaders and the religious authority and the traditions and legalism of the time. And so in this last section, he's going up to a tax collector and telling this tax collector to follow him. Now, this is a little bit harder for us to understand culturally. I think most of us, um, if we met someone from the IRS, we wouldn't hate them that bad, right? They're just doing their job. Um, uh, you know, tax season is coming around. That was a joke, by the way. Okay, all right. So, um, so tax season is coming around, right? Everybody's got to send their taxes in. Some are going to have to pay a little more. Some are going to maybe get some stuff back. But our culture of tax today is a little different than it was in those days in Rome, under Roman authority. So what you had is you had the, 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 the kingdom of Rome, the government of Rome, that came and took over these lands and then demanded taxes. And their taxes were pretty hefty. And their rule was pretty uh, strict. You know, they were, they were pretty hard rulers. Now we talk in history, it's called the Pax Romana, right? The Peace of Rome. 
But um, it was a piece of Rome because they were a pretty dominant society. There weren't any wars or anything like that. To actually be under Roman rule, though, was pretty tough. So sometimes we can misinterpret that phrase, Pax Romana. You know, there was peace globally, you know, there wasn't war, but that was because Rome was a powerhouse. And you didn't cross Rome. And Rome would tax the people pretty heftily uh, to take care of their military and to take care of the buildings that they were popping up and all these type of things. You know, Roman culture, you go through and see the things like the Colosseum and all that. There were some big buildings. Well, somebody had to pay for all that. And that was the people. So they were taxed pretty heftily. And so they needed people to go out into the society, into the people, and collect taxes. So they would often get Roman citizens to do that, but when they couldn't get enough Roman citizens to collect taxes, then they would go into the native people or the people of you know, the lands, and they would recruit and hire people out of the nations to then collect taxes on behalf of Rome. And that was seen as, as a those tax collectors were seen as traitors, especially in the Israelite culture. You have rebelled against our people. You have gone to the other side. You have, you have uh, committed treason against your own people. And you're extorting, ex you know, you're taking this money from us to give to our enemies. How could you? For your own personal gain, for your own selfishness, for your own comfort, so that you might be put up in a Roman house and all these things? How could you betray your own people? So do you see a little more why tax collectors were hated so much by Jewish society? Listen, if Jesus was really looking um, for good PR amongst his people, if Jesus uh, was a good strategist in the eyes of society and culture at the time, or even if Jesus was a loyalist to his people, if he was really there for the sake of the Israelites, people would have thought, there's no way this guy is going to befriend a tax collector. And what does Jesus do? You see this really with all the disciples. He calls people who are unexpected. You know, later he's going to call Simon the Zealot to be one of his disciples. And I don't know if you knew this, but zealots were kind of the other extreme on this uh, on this um, spectrum so you've got a tax collector who's viewed as a you know a traitor and then you got a zealot that term zealot means he's zealous for the people of god the, the israelite tribe and he's going to do everything he can to preserve israelite culture and society so what did jesus do he basically brought two enemies on the opposite ends of the spectrum together to be his disciples what was he thinking? Well, we're going to see in a second what he was thinking. Look at verse 15. I want to read this out. As he reclined at table in his house, that is Matthew's house. So now we see Matthew open up his house. And it said, by the way, it said he had made a great banquet for him. Um, so many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. All right, pause. So Jesus went and he called Matthew, right? He said, Matthew, follow me. Immediately, Matthew leaves everything, forsakes everything to follow Jesus. So Jesus is now calling tax collectors. But then what happens? Matthew uh, has a dinner 
He says, Jesus, come over to my house for dinner. And what does Matthew do? He invites all his friends. Who are Matthew's friends? Other tax collectors and sinners. Now, again, if Jesus knew, you know, Jesus knew what he was thinking. If Jesus was really trying to go along with the culture of that time among, among the Israelite people, Jesus, you can't go there. Do you know what kind of people are going to be there? You know what they do? You know what they talk about? Jesus, you can't, you can't go to that house. Now, what does Jesus do? He goes and he reclines at table. What is reclining? What, you know, what is that? That's the same kind of uh, phrase that's given to us when he reclines at the table with his disciples at the Lord's Supper. It means he's relaxed. He's relaxed at the table with these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is at complete ease with them. And they, it seems, are at complete ease with him. And so what happens, verse 16? It says, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is that a big deal? Because you are identifying with these people. You're saying these people are my friends, my family. This is, this is one of the reasons we here at Christ Community Church like going to each other's homes for our home group fellowship time because we're friends or at least we want to be friends are we friends uh we want to be friends we want this to be a family we want to love one another and be the church together and jesus is doing that with these notorious sinners and tax collectors and he knows it he knows that to hang out and eat with these people means to associate with them and, and means that he is risking his own reputation to be friends with these sinners. And he was willing, and he was at complete ease doing that. So what does Jesus, how does he respond? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is a friend for sinners. So let me just try to uh, apply this. What is, if we're followers of Christ, what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that Jesus can be your friend. Are you a sinner? Do you know yourself to struggle with all kinds of sins, addictions, struggles? Are there times in your life where you think there's no Jesus could love me. Okay, yeah, I know he forgives sins, but this one, these, can Jesus love a sinner like me? Can Jesus heal and forgive a sinner like me? Someone who struggles with alcohol or drug abuse or pornography or is promiscuous, who tries to find joy and pleasure by shopping or buying stuff or accumulating stuff for myself, binge watching TV just to escape reality, someone who eats too much, who goes to uh, medicate my sorrows with all kinds of food and sweets and chocolate, someone who can't put their phone down 
who can't stop scrolling through apps like Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Twitter, Facebook, someone who's constantly hooked to the news channel of my party's liking, someone who participates in things like gossip and slander. Can Jesus really love a sinner like me? And what do we see throughout Jesus' life on earth? That's exactly who he was. That's who he chooses to hang out with because he loves you, a sinner. And he loves me, the sinner. And so what is our response to this Jesus is to believe that Jesus came to save sinners. That's what Paul says. Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the worst. That was the reason he came, to die on the cross, to, to suffer the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, and to rise from the dead, offering forgiveness, healing, life forever in heaven, because our faith is in Jesus Christ alone, the friend of sinners. And so if Jesus is your friend, and if you know yourself to be a sinner who Jesus has loved, what's the other implication of that? Jesus has given you the ability to love sinners. Sinners that you'll interact with in this church. Sinners that you'll interact with in the workplace, in your home, in, in your neighborhoods, in your Walmart, or wherever you are. Jesus has given you the ability to love sinners. How? Because he's given you himself. He's shown you his love. And because he's given you the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit of love so that you can love other sinners the way he has loved you. Rosaria Butterfield um, is uh, someone that Kelsey also talked about a few weeks ago. She wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Clean, talking about what radical uh, Christian hospitality looks like. It looks like not only bringing family members and friends into your homes, but also strangers uh, people that you might not usually associate with unless you know Jesus's love for you And so her neighbor across the street her neighborhood was someone that no one else in the neighborhood would talk to He was a strange man And he had a really big muscly pit bull dog And people were scared of that dog and they were scared of him and they wouldn't befriend him Well, Rosaria and her family or kids her husband befriended this man and it, it took some time. He really had to try to figure out, okay, what's your what's your motive here? But truly, they just befriended him because he, they realized he didn't have any friends, at least from what they could see in the neighborhood. Nobody ever came to his house. He kept to himself. This was a, one of those strange people, right? And they loved him and befriended him. Well, it turns out he cooked meth. And one day the cops, when they came to get him, all the neighbors, you know what they did? They said, those Butterfields, they're friends of that man. You better check out what's going on there. They risked their reputation to love this sinner. And they had to go through all the questioning and all that stuff. And you know what the final step of that process of befriending this man when he went off to prison was? They took care of his dog. And Rosaria admittedly says, I'm not a dog person. They took this pit bull into their own house to love this man. Why? Because Jesus had loved them. And they, I, I, maybe still to this day, they interact with that man 
through letters, um, maybe even visitation, I'm not sure, but it was a powerful story of someone who loved a, a fellow sinner because they realized Jesus had loved them. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so as we are becoming more like Jesus as his followers, is that how people would describe us? Kent, the friend of sinners. Kelsey, the friend of sinners. Jack, the friend of sinners. Jesus has befriended us so we can befriend others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us as sinners. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. Your grace goes beyond all of our sins because you truly love us and you have called us your friend. Lord, we pray that we would rest in your love, that we would abide in your love, that we would treasure the relationship that is possible through faith in you because of the good news of the gospel, and that as your friendship takes over our lives, that we would also be friends for others. Others that maybe don't have many friends because they've been cast out of society for whatever reason. Lord, help us to be a friend of sinners because you have been a friend of us, the sinner. In Jesus' name, amen.